The Police Box in the Junkyard podcast is a proud member of Direction Point, a Doctor Who podcast network. Allons-y. I'm sorry. It's French. Well, let's go. This is the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. On this podcast we travel all of time and space discussing Doctor Who in a completely random order. It's a brilliant idea. It's so simple only you could have thought of it. Oh. I'm the Doctor. These are my new best friends. It's the entire universe on Shuffle with your hosts. Eric Goldbranson. Asad Heshke. And Matthew Kressel. I'm the Doctor, and if there's one thing I can do, it's talk. There's something you better understand about me, because it's important. And one day, your life may depend on it. I am definitely a mad man with a box. Well, now we're getting somewhere. More like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. With me in the TARDIS tonight, my esteemed traveling colleagues, uh, Asad Keski and Matthew Kressel. How's it going tonight, guys? Hello. Pretty good. Oh, good morning, good evening, wherever everybody may be. It'd be nice yes. to have listeners in different time zones. <laughs> yes. Yes. It'd be nice to have listeners. <laughs> Just kidding. Just, there are a few people out there. Right now. <laughs> we love you. Good evening. Yes. yes. Good morning. We good do. evening to all seven of you. Yeah. Uh, if we're getting seven, I feel like we're we're very successful at this point. So, Just soaking up, soak, or basking in the glory of that. So. But anyway, yeah, it's uh. I feel like we have a lot to cover tonight. It's just been Doctor Who news left and right. It, <laughs> the past few months when we've gotten together to talk, uh, it's it's been the opposite of that. We've basically been going, well, there's nothing going on, and so careful what you wish for, right? Because now we're right. just being bombarded. But uh, yeah, yeah. we were just talking a little bit about, before we hit record tonight, the uh, latest news. It seems like we're getting about a daily dose of big Doctor Who news. And let's start with the... Uh, you know, the elephant in the room, and that is the casting of the 14th Doctor was announced. And uh, we have a young actor named Shudi Gatwa, who is a BAFTA-winning, um, award-winning actor, uh, Scottish actor, um, who I'm not familiar with, but I've heard is very good in the Netflix series Ed- Sex Education, which is uh, uh, which he won the award for. Um, what do you guys think? I, 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 I try not to really do too much... Uh, you know, <laughs> pretending like I know anything, especially because I haven't even seen the man act yet. But so. and I'm excited. He seems to be universally um, acknowledged as an excellent actor. Mm-hmm. I probably won't see Sex Education because I mean I don't really need to. I'll just wait to see him uh, as the Doctor. <laughs> right. And yeah, I've I have enough stuff to catch up on. <laughs> so. <laughs> That's kind of where I'm sitting on it, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is the first time since Matt Smith I've gone into a doctor without see- knowing them from anything. Because I knew Capaldi from Thick of It and a couple of other, and obviously Torchwood Children of Earth. I knew Jodie Whittaker from Attack the Block and Venus and uh, a miniseries she did here for uh, American TV called The Assets, a spy series based on a true story. Uh, so Shudi Gatwa, I know absolutely nothing about, but again, he seems to be acknowledged as somebody who's a really good actor, and he's he's on the young side, uh, which makes mm-hmm. a certain amount of sense given you know given reactions to Capaldi and also them trying to reset things to a certain extent. Uh, right. But I'm in, I'm intrigued um, as always with the new Doctor, especially somebody I know absolutely nothing about. So yeah. we'll yeah, time what will tell. Think that- 
I think the issue has never been the caliber of the people that they get as uh, actors. No, so no. I'm pretty confident in that he'll be a good actor at the very least. Yeah, Great actor. yeah, and I. So. Yeah, I, I don't think they've ever cast somebody that wasn't of the appropriate level of talent for the part. Like, that's never been the issue. <laughs> like, yeah. They, they've always had, had a, a pretty good uh, eye for that. So Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited about it. I, I'm always excited to see a new Doctor. I, I know some people, there, there's kind of like two kinds of, look, there's a thousand kinds of Doctor Who fans, but there seems to be two camps when it comes to new Doctors, the people that are very apprehensive about it. And I'm kind of of the other camp of like, I'm always pretty excited about it to see somebody tackle the part, a new actor tackle the part. So I think it'll be a lot of fun. Um, I think somebody young and... Um, Fresh maybe isn't the right word, especially because he's being lauded just right now about this, you know, because sex education is a pretty current uh, show and uh, he's being he's just won this, you know, the awards and everything. So uh, fresh might not be the right word. But, yeah, I kind of get Matt Smith vibes a little bit from the point where he's at in his career and kind of just starting off here. So Um, my biggest question is going to be what's his wardrobe going to be like? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, that's, and <laughs> that's going to have a big effect too. You know, as much as you know, as as you were saying, it's not necessarily that anybody who's ever been a bad actor has been cast, but it's what you put them in, and it's what you give them to say. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah, not to call out Colin Baker or anything, but like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who's an incredibly talented actor and and charming person, just got the short end of the stick with a couple things there, but yeah, very short end of the stick. Yeah, I can Um, throw out a little social commentary. I guess I'll say that it's. I'm glad that there hasn't been too much like pushback against his ethnicity or anything. I mean, there are always dark corners of the internet, but on the other hand, it just makes me wonder whether we're at a point where misogyny is more acceptable than racism. So I know. Yeah, I've I've wondered that myself because I admitting a Facebook a, a very large Facebook page. And remembering how the reactions to Jodie Whittaker and basically the weekend of hell that broke out after she was announced from an admitting point of view. Things this time around were a lot calmer. There was one or two comments, but for the most part, a lot of people positive and intrigued just kind of see where it goes. But there's, there's definitely been some pushback from not just certain dark corners, but also certain media outlets, shall we say, who've obviously had to have put their two cents in, especially in the UK. But I, I've been pleasantly surprised that the reaction has been, by and large, positive. I say it is yeah. kind of difficult if, if you're, if somebody who's been insisting that the doctor needs to be a man. Okay, he's a man. So now what exactly, <laughs> how directly can you say you're expressing right. your yeah, you <laughs> If you had any, like, you know, shame at all, now you would sit down and shut up. No, unfortunately, most of those people don't have any shame, don't have any shame. So they'll you know, yeah. still continue being loud. But my concern is like that to Assad's point earlier that unfortunately, I, I do think that kind of like la- says loud and clearly that misogyny is more socially acceptable than, you know, than racism, at least in, in that in this corner of, of fandom or whatever, because. Yeah, that just even still, Jody Whitaker's just getting rigged across the coals by people, and it's and 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 then a lot of people like to do that that uh, kind of diversion, where they say, well, Jody's you know perfectly capable. I just don't like her doctor, and I don't like Chibnall, and I don't like all this stuff. And um, but it's always it's not always. I mean, I I think you could make criticisms of the show in a constructive way, and sure. it, not that you have to be a fan of everything, but yeah. there always seems to be that camp of people that start off with, well, I don't like Jody, and then when you accuse them of some, you know, or 
the misogyny kind of aspect of it comes up. They're like, well, you know, she might be fine in something else, but right. she, you know, I don't like her here. And it's like, well, okay. But, yeah. I mean, it's, it's um, I, I suspect, you know, that's also the, kind of the same thing with Chibnall. I think there's a lot of people just mad that Chris Chibnall's not, you know, RTD or Stephen Moffat or them for that matter. The main reason I say that is, is that in another piece of news, Big Finish have announced this the last time we recorded that they were going to do stuff with the Sasha Dewan uh, master right. and also Joe mm-hmm. Martin's fugitive doctor. And there was some comments on, on particularly on Twitter from people who were very negative about it. And like, you know, these aren't going to sell big finish. You're going to lose tons of money because nobody likes the Chibnall era, et cetera, et cetera. And when you would try to engage them and talk to them about, well, why exactly do you think this, particularly given these are two character, two characters who've been arguably very well received would then give you that kind of runaround. So it's, you know, I think that people people dislike things for different reasons, and I think that one of the unfortunate consequences of, of the misogynist crowd, of the, of the hashtag not my doctor crowd, is it's made trying to have conversations about this era near impossible. Yeah. Well, I have always maintained that Doctor Who will not be perfect until I'm the actual showrunner. So, um, yes. And, I agree. Uh, and yeah, <laughs> as far as Big Finish, well, I mean, they're, they put out, like, Audios of the Doctor's daughter, so it's like yeah, it's not probably not a big uh, they, issue. They on have their such part. an expansive catalog. <laughs> like these are directly, you know, they they've spun off much deeper and weirder, you know, characters than than these two. Right. It just totally makes sense for these two. I mean, this is the future for those two. That that incarnation of the Master and that incarnation of the Doctor, like. And I think they're really interesting because we didn't get a whole lot of them in the show, and who knows what we're gonna get in the. 90 right. minutes or less that we're going to have left right. of, of the Chibnall series. But, um, yeah, I'm actually excited about it. I think it's a cool, especially just the Joe Martin um, Fugitive Doctor. I think that's that's just right for a big finish treatment. Yeah, oh, yeah. Right. So, anyway, haters going to hate. I guess that's yes. what they say, right? So, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> that's what the kids are saying. The, yeah. Um, so, yeah, on, on, on top of all of that, fantastic news about uh shooty gatwa and um his casting as the doctor we also have had another big announcement one that everybody was kind of waiting for um it had been rumored that a certain doctor who actor may be reprising his role and uh, we got that confirmed that david tennant will be uh, reprising the role of the 10th doctor in a a 60th anniversary special of sorts we're not sure if it's the 60th anniversary special or something that is concurrent um Sounds like we might just be getting a new 10th Doctor adventure of some sort, but who knows. Uh, All they keep saying are that he's filming scenes, so whatever that means. Yeah, yeah, it's filming scenes that are due to air in 2023 to coincide with the anniversary or or something along those lines. It's like, well, is he in the special? Are they doing multiple specials? What's going on? Uh. Yep. Along with him, uh, we're going to see Catherine Tate reprising her role as uh, Donna Noble. Um, also going to see the return of her grandfather, Wilf, um, who's been seen on set as well. Um, uh, Bernard Curbins. Uh, you you know. know how he got announced, right? You know, the, the way he got announced was some fake, some fake Twitter account pretending to be the official one announced him. And then Bad Wolf and BBC Studios both shared that tweet <laughs> and confirmed it. So they then absolutely yeah. had to. So... Right. I, I guess occasionally the fans are right about something. <laughs> yeah. They've been pretty on top. I didn't know they missed that one. But, yeah, that's uh, – I was going to say we were talking about before we hit record about how on top of the leaks they've been. And, like, about 24 hours prior to something they know is coming, 
you know, before someone's going to be shooting a scene in public, they're they're making right. these announcements. So, um, yeah, we also got a, a, an announcement of a new companion character that's going to be. I mean, who knows in what capacity we're going right. to see her, but um, Yasmin Finney is going to be joining. Uh, I b- believe the 10th Doctor because she's on set shooting now, but who knows what role she's going to play throughout the whole thing. Right. Um, as a character, coincidentally, named Rose, um, which got people <laughs> kind of <laughs> kind of steamed when uh, I don't think they're thinking, thinking enough about it here. So um, also the uh, first trans actress to be a uh, Doctor Who companion. So another right. another ceiling shattered there. So right. um I guess another actor as well. Yeah, and another person who's uh, I guess been acclaimed in uh, her prior yes. performances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. In Heartstopper, I believe is the, another show I'm, I'm not familiar with, but yeah, again, of a highly acclaimed yeah. actor. So it looks like the well, Wikipedia know, already her, uh, has her character listed as a surname of uh, Noble. So. Yes, I read that <laughs> yesterday, and I wasn't sure where I read it, so I was uh, not gonna. I wasn't going to say because I didn't remember exactly what it was, but I what it yeah. looks like is it's potentially donna's daughter from the library scenario that we saw or something along those lines i don't know yeah anyway she's got some (laughs) yeah i'm i'm kind of uh kind of enjoying uh, russell davies like his uh, all his stuff about oh my gosh it's david tennant but that's crazy and another rose how can this be (laughs) who knows what's going on it's madness you know what's going on russell Yes, yeah. he he seems like he's having fun with it. So hopefully it'll stay fun uh, for him. And yeah. yeah, right. And you know, there's nothing so. we fans love more than speculating. And I mean, the speculation is all over the place. Yes. Um, t- to the point, I have been wondering. Going back to what we were talking about a few episodes ago, I have been wondering if I am in fact going to have to eat one of my hats with some Cool Whip <laughs> at some point in the not too distant future. Yeah. Uh. Uh, you know, I, do what the Scots do and, like, uh, as an honor to the new doctor, like, fry it up. <laughs> Dribble some yeah. Snickers on it. <laughs> well, I am from the South, and we do love frying our stuff, so. There you go. Can batter it and, yeah, deep fry it. <laughs> Put some hot sauce on it. So, yep. Yeah. No, I don't I don't think you'll have to go there. I think you, you're... We were talking about the the very specific rumor that David Tennant would be you know, be co- would be becoming the fourteenth Doctor, playing right. a new version of the Doctor on the show. Mm-hmm. Doesn't look like that's what's going to happen. Um, he's returning much in the same way, you know, that um, he returned for the the Day of the Doctor special. Um, you know, so I think coming back for a multi Doctor celebration special doesn't require you to to eat your hat because he's yes. he's not the new doctor he's the same old yeah 10th doctor we've come to know and love so yeah yeah but. as long as he's not 14 or the curator maybe i'll be okay mm-hmm. right <laughs> right yep yeah so yeah lots of exciting stuff um they're starting to shoot and uh yeah i'm sure we're going to keep getting these little teasers because the uh <laughs> the creative crew behind that's the new creative crew behind the show um seems to be getting a kick out of you know like you said leaving little nuggets and yeah. um, having fun with all of our speculation so we love it they love it i think that comes from you know russell davies being a giant fan as well as a contributor so yes yeah <laughs> but, 
Well, he's always been very much on top of publicizing the show and whatnot. I think in a way that nobody but maybe John Nathan Turner before him has kind of been. And I mm. know that following things on Twitter, I think there's a lot of people con- comparing and, tra- and contrasting him with, like, particularly Chris Chibnall. Um, because yeah. the Chibnall era has been very... It hasn't been absolutely. It hasn't been silent, but I think that uh, Chibnall's been a lot more spoiler phobic, for lack of a better way of putting it, and yeah. just sort of wanting to have an air of mystery around it. So whether that's for better or worse, you know, your yeah. mileage may vary, as the kids say. And then never delivering on his mysteries, but anyway, so won't go there. I think that time, but Stephen Moffat also <laughs> was really big on the whole public. I think it really that's kind of when it peaked. I think. Yeah. Um, in terms of yeah. its media exposure and worldwide tours and <laughs> yeah i was yeah. gonna say Stephen moffat brought back the press tours like they were doing worldwide promotional events and yeah i don't know if they were doing that in the uh early days of the davies series or not but i think they were yeah, starting to pick it up because it, the tenant stuff had just hit, kind of started getting big in america and I think yeah. 09 was when they did the first San Diego Comic-Con. So that was kind of right. when it started picking up. But I guess Moffat kind of really got to sort of reap the whirlwinds mm-hmm. of that. But certainly, at least from the UK perspective, I mean, Davies had it was very much on top of making sure that the show was publicized and that you really couldn't ignore the fact that Doctor Who was back. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And, uh, yeah, and... Speaking of Chris Chibnall, I think uh, we said in the last episode, and I feel like we should give it a couple minutes here, we were, I, I think, all, only a matter of days away from seeing the Easter special, The Legend of the Sea Devils, uh, last time we recorded, and um wanted to just take a couple minutes and get reactions from you guys. Uh, did you guys uh, enjoy the Easter special? What are your What are your thoughts about that one? We don't have to do deep dives just in case it spins <laughs> spins up someday. But <laughs> no. uh, I know I, I was just um, overall, I'd say I was super underwhelmed by everything that was going on. So yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much. I I would probably have to see it again to think of something more. It was just uh, yeah. So I don't. There's not all that much that sticks in my mind about what yeah. happened during it. So. <laughs> I went into it expecting a swashbuckling adventure with Sea Devils, and I got that. So I was fine with it. Uh, the rest of the internet, on the other hand, was a slightly different story, apparently. Yeah, well, I think it's just yeah. one of those things that with this, with it being the second last story and a lot of balls in kind of in the air that we still don't know may or may not be resolved. People might have been expecting something a little more than a standalone. Now, obviously, not, none of that is on... The producers of the show, they're going to make what they want to make. And yeah. they're not responsible right. for what we're expecting. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, they got to make I, what they can realistically make, I guess, also with COVID and all. Right. Yeah. And I think I think part of it, too, is that we've gotten used to, thanks to, thanks to kind of the, the Christmas specials and stuff in the Moffat era and the way Chibnall's handled the New Year's stuff. We've expected the kind of continuations of storylines and stuff with these kind of specials and... I get the impression that Chibnall kind of went, you know what, let's just do a one-off kind of adventure thing, you know, and we'll and we'll go with that. And again, going back to kind of what we were talking about, I, I, I very much have the feeling that if some of another showrunner's name was on this, people would have been a lot happier with it than they were. But that's, that's my two cents. Yeah, I mean, that could be the case. I think people are on uh, 
a lot of people are on Chibnall burnout here, and I, I'm not really one of them, but I am going to remain kind of right in the right on the fence because I think I agree with both of you in a way. Like I was able to, I was able to enjoy it, and I wasn't like offended by it in any way. It wasn't bad. I didn't walk away being like er shaking my fist at the TV or anything. Like it was, it was, it was fine. I think I wanted a little more out of the, you know, the reappearance of the Sea Devils, and it just. It kind of ended up being being a little bit of a non-story at the end of it. Like it just kind of, I don't know. They they could have done more with the pirates. They could have done more with the sea devils. It just kind of fizzled for me, like towards the end. And uh, positives about it, I thought it looked incredible. It might be one of the best looking pieces of Doctor Who that we've ever ever had. Um, I think the special effects, the uh, throwback special effects, the sea devils were pretty pretty excellent looking. And I just think the whole I mean, they pulled off, you know, swashbuckling pirate ships swinging back and forth, you know, full on. And I and I feel like it looked really good. It didn't look, you know, small and stagey like it sometimes can on television. So, um, also the score. I think uh, one of my one of my favorite uh, scores of the Chibnall era because it it had uh hints of kind of adventure film music again like it was something not like i'm trying to i'm not trying to diminish it in a way of being like well it sounded a bit more like murray gold so i'm happy about it but it, it kind of in that vein it, mm. it was uh um seemed to seem to suit that adventure very well and i wish we would have heard a little bit more of that kind of music in the series honestly so yeah no i mean certainly for all my criticism of the chip nalira it's looked and sounded really fantastic throughout yeah. it's uh yeah, it, it's the only special that, um, or the only episode of the series so far that, since I, since way back to when Matt Smith was first starting and I started watching in real time, that I haven't gone back and watched a second time yet. Now, I have the Blue Order on pre, Blu ray on pre order. I'm sure I will see it again. It's just, I haven't, I didn't feel like the need. Usually I watch it twice the first week it's out, and this one, not only have I, it's, it's not only because of my, my thoughts on it. I was also, also been just busy, but, um, but yeah, I didn't feel the need to go back and watch it right away, which is not a good sign, probably. But uh, maybe I'll maybe I'll go back watch the second time and absolutely love it. But I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, never know. I also feel like that's the case with a lot of this era, as I feel like we're gonna look back on it in five years, ten years, and and soften a lot on on it or people will i don't i, I obviously I know, I know matthew you've been you've been probably out of the three of us the biggest fan of, mm-hmm. of the era not that and i've been kind of you know hit or miss on it i certainly have loved a lot about it but yeah i mean time time gives us distance and distance gives us perspective um right he yep. says waxing philosophically over here so <laughs> you know there's it's it's funny. I mean, the excitement with RTD coming back because one of the things that's been interesting is that as time's gone on and people have reappraised his era, and there's episodes from his era that things like Love and Monsters and you know Fear Her and whatnot that weren't mm. that weren't didn't have exactly you know huge reputations to begin with, but watching how other stories from that era that were very much acclaimed at the time have kind of been reappraised and whatnot. So it was kind of curious that fandom had kind of, I don't want to say fandom had kind of cooled on it, but I think that people were taking a bit more of a critical eye to it. And then all of a sudden he's back. Hooray. So it'll be interesting to see how RTD two is, is 
the internet is calling it will go down. <laughs> It'll like be long RTD before RTD they'll be too. saying RTD must go. Yeah. <laughs> That's... yeah. Well, Stephen, Moff- seen... Stephen Moffat did that on Instagram, I think, the day right. of the announcement. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've already seen the, unfortunately, and I, I don't even like to call attention to these people, but as, as Math- Matthew says, the, the hashtag not my doctor crowd, who was all for RTD, the sa- is going to save the program, all RTD, you know, our hero, this and this, have already turned a bit on him being like Doctor Who and its woke casting is going to ruin the show, da-da-da-da-da. And so it's like, okay, well, they're just moving on to the next thing here. Yeah. Um, so they, you know, I think that, that, that group of fandom is going to... It, after that point, after that Jodie Whittaker casting, after Chris Chibnall, they've become the toxic section of fandom, and they're going to continue being it no matter what happens now at this point. So yeah. I feel very to, comfortable that gonna... as soon as I hear the word woke, I immediately tune that person out. Yeah. Yes, yes, I agree. <laughs> That's like, the criticism. <laughs> and it's, it's, and it's bad because the word itself was uh, you know, part right. of, a, you know, yeah, yeah. a movement and everything, and it's been totally hijacked by people that really don't mm-hmm. seem to understand a bit of what it means. but. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so... Um, Before we go yeah, too like far to, off the deep end. <laughs> right. So I think we covered everything. Is there anything else that you guys could think of in the world of Doctor Who that's been going on or anything new for you guys that you're excited about that you wanted to... Maybe slightly adjacent. I mean, I only just learned today, and I don't know that about... Uh, that Stephen Moffat has written the new HBO miniseries of The Time Traveler's Wife, so that's suddenly mm-hmm. gone up on my list of things to see. I did and, not realize and that. Amazon yeah. Prime will be having a show with uh, Peter Capaldi that um, uh, that Moffat is uh, producing. And hmm. its uh, name is something that I have uh, completely forgotten. Um, <laughs> the Devil's Hour. Yes, Devil's The Devil's Hour. Hour. Okay. Yeah. That will be coming out on Prime later this year. Yeah, I, I haven't watched... Oh, no, that's not true. I, I watched... Um, Stephen Moffat and Mark Gatiss's Dracula miniseries and was not super thrilled with it. So uh, that's been the only thing I've seen oh, sorry of his that, that uh, since he left Doctor Who. But but I'm always excited to see yeah something. It's uh, I didn't I didn't hate everything about Dracula. It, it had some had a couple of strengths, but in general I thought it was kind of meh. But there are definitely some interesting things in it, and it was a lot more gruesome than I had. Uh... And darker than he used to get in Doctor Who. But <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Well, that's because I haven't you don't seen, have to... uh, what is it, Jekyll? Yeah. One of his older ones? I yeah, that's that one yet. of his older. Yeah. If you've not seen Jekyll, Jekyll is good. Jekyll is very mm-hmm. good. I've actually bought the, bought the streaming on Amazon. I just haven't seen it yet. <laughs> yeah, it's like me. I, I've always, the other the guys on the other podcast always make fun of me because uh, we'll be talking about a movie or something. I'll be like, oh, yeah, I got a copy of that. It's like sitting on my shelf staring at me. And they're like, oh, yeah, so you've seen it? I'm like, no, I haven't seen it, but I have it. And it's sitting on... Yeah, I even uh, got the DVD so... of Press Gang. I guess yeah. I just have coupling to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, catching up on the old stuff. So. Yeah. Well, well cool, me- I suppose. Oh, no, go ahead, Matthew. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, um, for me, it's been an exciting month from Big Finish. Of course, when is it not an exciting month from, from Big Finish? <laughs> but uh, yeah. this month we've had uh, we've had the new Ninth Doctor set come out back to Earth, which is kicking mm-hmm. off the, the next run of four box sets with him. And this one, it, it's very good. It might be the best of the five they've put out with him so far. Oh, cool. 
Uh, so I cannot recommend that enough. Um, also, listen, this is the last time we recorded, I also finally got around, because I haven't talked about it enough on the podcast, the new Unbound box set. Um, mm-hmm. with Colin Baker playing a version of the War Doctor, uh, is quite good as well. So, it's a yeah. very good month to be a Big Finish fan. Yeah, speaking of things that are on my shelf that I haven't listened to yet, I pre-ordered that, but I haven't gotten around to listen to it yet. It's in my Big Finish app waiting for me when I get around to it. But I did just hear the, um, I don't know if it was the last, uh, Eccleston set, but the, the old friends set with, the the Brigadier and the, um, uh, Cybermen one that, uh... Yeah. Yeah, that would have I, been it, it, that would have been the set before this one. Yeah. Okay. So the last one. Yep. yep. I thought it was. I just wasn't positive, um, which I enjoyed quite a bit. It was. Uh, it was a lot of fun. So yep. both of those stories were. Should pick those up. Good. Do I need yeah. to be familiar with the earlier sets to enjoy Back to Earth? Or? No. Every that's the one of the cool things about the various Eccleston ones is that they are all standalone. Well, there's technically there's a little bit of connective tissue between boxes box sets two, three, and four. But it's a very, very minor connective tissue that if it wasn't commented on by somebody, you'd never know it was there. Um, But for the most part, all five of the sets which have come out to date have all been standalone. So whichever one takes your fancy. But for me, I think uh, Back to Earth is is the best of the five. Cool. I'll check that out. Yeah, Old Friends was really cool. And I know know you're a Brigadier fan, Asad, so (laughs) check that one out too. Uh, John Colshaw is fantastic. That's the first one I've ever heard of him doing the Brigadier. And uh, I heard him in uh, I was pretty Gray Man away. of the Mountain, and yeah, it was really <laughs> yeah. good. Yeah. So. Uh, and and I think a lot of the the replacement cast. I mean, they all do a great job, and we'll talk a bit more about that because we have a a replacement cast in the thing we're gonna eventually get to tonight. Um, and but John Colshaw is amazing. It's just like like it's like you're listening to Nick Courtney. Like you could almost listen to him back to back, and it's like wow. Right. Oh, yeah. Anyway. But, it, it it's downright uncanny at times. Yep, and and he turns it on and off in his interviews too. Like and it's like wow, he's like talking in his normal voice, and then could turn turn the brig on just like that, and it's like wow, that's cool. But, and now we take a quick break to let you know about some other excellent podcasts that you should check out. Do you collect Doctor Who? Do you have Doctor Who items and you don't know you collect Doctor Who? For all things in the Doctor Who collecting world, tune in to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, a Direction Point Network podcast. I am Larry Van Mersbergen, your host, and I have been collecting Doctor Who for 40 years. With a popular feature like collection protection and the most outrageous offer, there's a lot of fun to be had. We're available anywhere you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Police Box in a Junkyard podcast. A Direction Point Network podcast. Hello, fellow time travelers, and welcome to the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the only podcast to discuss, in story order, all the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Whit, and every two weeks or so, I'm joined by a two- to three-person discussion panel, including our so-called expert who's been a Who fan since 1979. That would be me. We also get the views of intermediate, casual, and novice fans who either have never seen the show or who have never read these books until these podcasts, including Dalton Hughes and Alison Fitzsafried. You can find us on iTunes, Stitchers, or wherever you find good podcasts, or even ones like ours. You're listening to the Police Box in a Junkyard podcast on the Direction Point Podcast Network. I'm Juliet. And I'm Nathan. 
Experience Doctor Who from the very beginning through a classic fan's eyes. And through the eyes of a new Who fan. Reminisce and relive those classic moments with Nathan as he offers fun insight. Or experience them for the first time with Juliet as she dwells on social issues, history, fashion, and the size of a flashlight. We're the Time Streams Podcast. Find us on Spotify, Stitcher, or Apple Podcasts. You're listening to Police Box in a Junkyard. Are you ready to travel through time with us? Then check out Traveling the Vortex, a Doctor Who podcast. For nearly seven years and more than 500 episodes, we've traveled from one end of the vortex to the other, making different stops with different doctors, reviewing everything from TV stories to audio plays, from books to comics, and more. Sean, Keith, and Glenn take you on a journey through 50-plus years of Doctor Who episodes and spinoff materials. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, so be sure to check us out. And now, we're a proud member of Direction Point, a Doctor Who podcast network. You're listening to Police Box and the Junkyard Podcast. Cool. So yeah, we should probably jump in half an hour into <laughs> we have, yeah so much news uh, this time to our uh, yeah. big finish audio adventure that we're going to talk about tonight and that one is the first doctor adventures volume five and that is the stories for the glory of earth by guy adams and the hollow crown by sarah grochala from big finish productions doctor who the first doctor adventures Volume 5. So, uh, give me your hand. The walkway's dry. I didn't hear a single one of you congratulating me for landing somewhere circumspect. Circumspect? Yes, that's one word for it. We are on Earth. A particularly awful, barbaric version of it. Prepare for an announcement from Daddy Dominus. Raise your hands. Uh, papers. Proof of genetic history. I beg your pardon. <laughs> They did not kill any of you. No. Whatever that thing is, it's getting closer. Do you think it's hunting us? I hadn't thought that. Where are we going? To the globe. My dear, we're going to see one of Mr. William Shakespeare's plays. I may not be able to serve you up a play, but what I can serve you is a splendid dinner. What are you gonna do? She's just a girl. Leave her alone. (laughs) Ian! You killed him! Do you want to see my head on a pike on Tower Bridge? Do you want Cecil to steal the crown and put a Spanish princess on the throne? Will you take the stage? Will you help my Lord Essex change all our fates? Shut him in the Iron Maiden. She's a cruel lover. First she'll embrace you, then she bleeds you dry. Your grandfather's in the Tower, you said. He was arrested for treason. Offended someone, no doubt. The Queen. You don't say. Big Finish. We love stories. These uh, were originally released last year, so it's a fairly new box set. So April 27th, 2021, um, starring the uh, David Bradley as the first Doctor and his cast of companions that are originally from the uh, Mark Gatiss uh, TV movie uh, Adventure of Time and Space. And that... Um, is uh, Claudia Grant, uh, Gemma Powell, and Jamie Glover playing Ian, Barbara, and Susan on the show. show. So, um, this was my first foray into the first Doctor Adventures. I knew they had cast the uh, the group from Adventure in Time and Space, so David Bradley and, and crew. 
and we're having them do audio adventures, which I thought, thought was a curious idea, because unlike a lot of the other replacement cast people that we've had, um, uh, John Colshaw, like we just mentioned, doing the Brigadier, um, his name eludes me, the guy that's doing the third Doctor is... Tim Trelore. Tim Trelore, I was going to say, I've seen him even in person at TARDIS, and, um, but, and... Uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're people that were cast based upon their ability to kind of capture the voice or the, the persona through through audio. Um, these characters had, a for Big Finish, a very unique um, journey because they were cast because for their screen, of their appearance as these people in almost non-speaking cameo roles in, <laughs> you know, the adventure of time and space. David Bradley obviously had it a larger role he was it was because it was more about him than anything else but um before we dive into the specific stories uh what's your experience with this cast the first doctor adventures box sets and what do you think of of these three as our original tardis crew or these four i'm sorry as our original tardis crew well this is my first uh, experience uh, with with them and um yeah like uh like you said it's interesting that they're not they don't really seem to be at least from what I remember, it's been a while since I saw the uh, first Doctor's uh, DVDs. But yeah, they don't really seem to be making much of an effort to try to replicate the voices and mannerisms and all that. So it's an interesting approach. I guess it's easier on the cast just to not to have to think worry also about trying to capture the original voices and inflections. So. Mm-hmm. Well, for me, I'd heard the four previous sets because this was one of those that from the moment it was announced, it was like, ooh, this is this is interesting because Big Finish had kind of gotten themselves into a bit of a hole with the first Doctor because William Russell, the original Ian Chesterton, is no longer doing audios. He stopped recording back in 2018. Everybody's kind of getting older, so it was kind of like, well, what in the world are they going to do? And this was one of their ways of doing that. Funnily enough, they recorded, I think, the first two sets before Bradley came back to play the first Doctor on screen in Twice Upon a Time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it turned into one of those... It, I think um, David Richardson, the Big Finish producer, commented on the extras in the first set that it was kind of a one of those wonderful pieces of accidental casting because they <laughs> sent it to Cardiff to get the approval, and they're like, yeah, we're actually planning this. Um, you know, says, we're planning on bringing Bradley back, so that kind of works out. In fact, the timing worked out so much, so well, that Twice Upon a Time aired on Christmas Day 2017, and this box set came out within a matter of hours. The first box set came out <laughs> within a matter of hours. Um, so, but, you know, I, they're, as a cast, uh, they're quite interesting. I think a lot of it is, as I've, having reviewed two of the first two sets in prose, a lot of it is just about trying to capture versions of those characters rather than sounding like them. I think Asad, you said about capturing the inflections and the and the essences of who those characters are. So much so that, you know, Jamie Glover in particular as Ian has really grown on me because I was originally like, you know, they cast him because he kind of looks sort of like William Russell in 1963, but he doesn't mm-hmm. sound like William Russell in 1963. But, no. <laughs> but yeah, at all. But through the writing and through his performance, they've kind of created a version of Ian. I think that the original idea when they started doing these was that they were going to be kind of, you know, alter, kind of alternate universe or something as, you know, to kind of that way they could sort of play around with the continuity and whatnot a bit. And then I think Bradley showing up on TV kind of changed those plans a bit. Mm. Um 
But it, they're an interesting cast. I mean, it does... That first set took some getting used to and sort of yeah. in listening to everybody. But I think once I kind of got kind of got them down within the first story or two from that first box set. I've been excited to hear them ever since. But for some reason, this one has sat for the better part of a year on my iPod unlistened to. I, you know, too many other things coming out, I guess. And uh, But so I was grateful when the randomizer decided to pick this. You know, it was like, <laughs> finally, I can give this a listen. Yeah, help knock it off the wall of shame for you. Um <laughs> Yeah, much like I saw, this is my first experience with them. I've been meaning to uh, check them out for well since I first saw that they were doing them. Um, I didn't realize that it actually they had recorded prior to. I knew they got it out quickly after Twice Upon a Time. I didn't realize it was like that that quickly. So it, yeah, um, yeah, that's 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 cool. I uh, didn't realize that the um, Jason Hillary I... was putting back all his sacrificial <laughs> instruments. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they. Uh, I I had a similar experience to what you just described, Matthew, and that it is that it it took me a while. It took me most of the first story and in maybe into the Hollow Crown to really like get what they were doing with the characters. And once it clicked with me, I enjoyed it a lot more. I I wish I would have had time to go back and re-listen to these, and I didn't this time around. I'd usually try to do that, um, because I feel like once it clicked, I would have enjoyed the first story a lot more. Mm. Um, and we'll we'll get to the specifics about that in a minute. But um, yeah, the, Jamie Glover was the hardest one for me because the other two, although I don't think they're doing impressions of um, um, Jacqueline Hill or um, uh, Carol Ann Ford, um, they certainly sound a bit like them there is certainly in inflections and even like temp to the like timber of their voice that these they sound like barbara and susan jamie glover does not have that he does not sound like ian he does not i'm not he acts like ian because i think the characters are written similarly but everything in the way he delivers lines it's just it's a different interpretation of the character mm. and i try to be someone that doesn't get stuck on that because i don't mind i think characters are something that you can you know, you certainly have some wiggle room, and it depends on where this sits in continuity and whatever, but um, you don't have to get in there and do a William Russell impression to play Ian Chesterton. That's not necessary. I don't think that's how, you know, that's not always the best way to even approach a, a job like that. It just, his performance is so different that it, it, honestly, it bugged me a little bit until, I don't know, until it settled in, and then all of a sudden I'm like, okay, and he had some scenes, a few more scenes, uh, like with Barbara in the latter story, and it was like once they once I got there, um, I liked that they were playing them a little more flirtatious and romantically than they played them, you know, in, in on the TV show because it's always it's always been a fan. Um, it's certainly confirmed at the end of their run, but it's always been a fan thing that you know they they were kind of forming a relationship throughout their time in the TARDIS, and that's very much at least to me seems very obvious here. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah. so. Yeah, it, it and it. This is not saying that Jamie Glover's performance was bad in any way. Like from an acting perspective, it just it took some getting used to, and and that's fine. David Bradley takes some getting used to for me. Yeah, that, so that was the one that took me like, a little little bit to get used to. Yeah, and I think on television when you could see him, his his general likeness to will uh, to um, the first Doctor is is helps it along. But right. he certainly has a little bit different take on the character, and and that's fine. I actually kind of like his take on the first Doctor, but 
again, it just takes some settling in. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's the difference too between me having heard the other four box sets and YouTube coming in as well, because sure. you yes. know it's I've had better part of what four going on five years to to kind of do this, and y'all just kind of jumped in at the deep end. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you got to start somewhere with them. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I do like. I mean, we were talking about the box sets prior prior to starting, but uh, the um, I do like that for the most part you can jump into these mm-hmm. anywhere, right. and there wasn't like I was didn't feel like I was missing anything. I think a general familiarity with the first Doctor's, uh, you know, the first TARDIS crew, those first couple seasons of Doctor Who. If you've seen a few of those. Uh, you'll be fine. Just jump yeah. right in. This you'll you'll get along just fine with this. There's nothing to know from the other sets or whatever. Yeah, there's a uh, there's a passing reference to a Kraton. A, it's a Russian word. I can't pronounce. It's the Russian city wherever the czar's the family was taken to. Because in the mm, last mm, box set, the historical story in that one was they met right. uh, Nicholas II on you know in the lead up to the execution of the family by the Bolsheviks. Um, oh. So there's there's a passing reference to that if you know where if you know where to spot it in uh, Hollow Crown. But if you don't, if, I, I suspect based on what you just said, if you don't know that, you're it's it's just going to be oh okay, yeah. Well, and, and the, right the thing me. about <laughs> yeah, the thing about Doctor Who is it's chock full of references to nothing right. as well. Like like all Doctor Who has those little like throwaway references to off screen adventures that we've never seen and don't actually exist. Right. So. For all we know, they're just referring to something that happened off, I say off screen, but off, yeah, off whatever you call it when it's audio. Off microphone. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, so if, uh, without any further ado, let's jump into talking about the first story that we heard in, in the fifth box set here, volume five, and that is For the Glory of Earth, and if you're not looking at the at the title, it's Earth spelled U-R-T-H, and that's a story by Guy Adams. Uh, directed both of these directed by um who Ken Bentley Ken Bentley yeah yeah Bentley yep that's right had it right in front of me and then I totally lost it um yes who directs a lot of big finish stuff so um yeah so the the glory of earth give you a real quick synopsis here the TARDIS has barely landed in an alien sewer when a distant scream sends Susan racing to give aid and the crew split up yeah, like always. <laughs> Trying to reunite the travelers, find themselves in something resembling a monastery, led by a man halfway between an abbot and a warlord, and discover that the place is called Earth, a barbaric place clinging on to its former glory. It's somewhere its populace are never allowed to leave, somewhere keeping many secrets from its people, and today those secrets will be revealed. My brain kept tripping the word somewheres in that sentence like five times. My brain couldn't do it. So I was about to volunteer <laughs> to read okay. it for you if, if you needed help. <laughs> yeah. My gosh. Anyway. Um, yeah, so for the glory of Earth, um, what are you guys' uh, thoughts on this one? It's... Um, yeah, as your first, especially you, Asad, as your first <laughs> jump in with this uh, crew. So. I think one thing that seemed kind of interesting was that between the um, sort of vague kinkiness of like a Daddy Dominus and a Mommy Marshall, there somehow it it felt as if this would not be <laughs> totally a miss in actually an episode of the Avengers <laughs> because I think yeah. <laughs> they even made yeah. reference to them wearing leather at one point. So. <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah, in that respect, it was a little, a uh, little naughtier than the average uh, William Hartnell uh, fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. These are certainly first Doctor adventures from the uh, 
modern era, well, from a modern era's perspective. I I think they they do tend to to keep them in the container where you can kind of imagine them taking place, you know, on black and white and on television. But yeah, Yeah. I think that double entendre is certainly intentional from the writer's perspective. Yeah. No, I was going to say that was my feeling about it, sort of uh, listening to it, was is that I I could very easily imagine it being a 60s story because there's a lot of that in those Hartnell stories. You know, look at the Romans, for example. Um, yeah. or indeed moment, there's certain moments in the reign of terror, you know, that's a historical, not a science fiction, Well, the Romans is too, for that matter. But there's a lot of that stuff that uh, it's curious looking at it with a modern perspective and you go, my God, they got away with this on a family show at tea time. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I could, I could imagine them kind of doing this, uh, in the sixties, but it, it's very much a first doctor story written in the here and now, because my God, is it. It's a comedy, don't get me wrong. It's very comedic, but my God, is it dark. Yes, very dark comedy. And it's... um, Another thing I think they did a good job of holding to with the 60s is the -the over-the-top performances from the villain characters, Daddy Dominus and Mother Mommy Marshallis and all this. Um, I was just looking up or attempting to look up the actors and actresses' names because my wiki page doesn't actually... Usually they have a nice, like spread of like the entire cast of these things and it has nothing on uh besides the, the core cast or our tardis crew yeah but um uh, clive wood played daddy dominus Dab and dominus. amanda yep. horowitz played uh mommy marshall thank you for that yeah um i think both of them just give these uh just over the top something you don't you don't see much of on tv anymore this is very of the era of the first doctor so it gives it that kind of legitimate or like 60s you know television vibe to it like they're they're almost something you would see uh, only in a classic sci-fi show like doctor who or even you know some of the classic star trek villain type characters so um yeah daddy dominus is this um dictator warlord um type leader who's leading this small uh, warship but they don't realize they're on a warship i think that <laughs> um, i guess it's like yeah it's yeah, a satellite something. or some sort yeah. of colony yeah, floating yeah, out in 20, space. Th- 20 000 people on an old on a old, right. some old fused together space station and yeah and they're the remnants of the human race that once we you know from right. earth but it's it's been so long ago that they've uh a lot of things about well the society has changed but also the somewhere we lost the spelling of the name as well it's just the uh more barbaric version of just earth with a u so (laughs) i think i actually liked uh, for a sec for a while there i was thinking oh great this is like just like again like with the sun makers or any number of uh, stories this is another story that's got this is the where humanity has ended up but of course, yep. you find out later on that that is not actually the case. There is a thriving human population throughout yeah. the universe. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> just these it's... people have been kept under lock and key. <laughs> yeah. My my fellow Warp Factor reviewer, Tony Filer, covered this when it came out, which may be part of the reason why I didn't get around to it at the time. But he made an mm. interesting case in his prose review that there may be a, a whole little Brexit satire going on here. Because you have this kind of these people who view themselves as the last great bastage of of human civilization, yeah. and when everybody shows up from the outside saying we can help and you can be a part of it, his reaction is no, we don't want your help. In fact, we want to <laughs> kill you all. 
Yeah, you're all dangerous, yeah. terrible aliens, impure aliens. And yeah, I can. Uh, like, I can. actually, we're not. We're just the same, you know, <laughs> yeah. humans as you. And we have a thriving society. We can lend you all this help. So the, that's what I really started coming around to this story. Was in the the third and fourth parts when when the the political satire really um, showed it showed its head. I wasn't sure. I was enjoying this a whole lot the first couple of uh, episodes, to tell you the truth. But I, I did come around to it big time because I, some of that stuff, and I think that's in the fourth episode, uh, which they all have episode names, just like the old, uh, I can't tell you exactly what they are, but just so you know, they do have individual episode names, just like the first Doctor. Yeah. <laughs> Doctor they're on, they're that, on so. the Big Finish website. If you go out to the listing for this, they're under the backstage section. Okay. Yeah, and I I have the CD. I I'm just being lazy tonight, I guess, but um but yeah, I know that the fourth episode they are um there's some really great, really funny stuff that you uh like you were mentioning when they the people from the other surviving human planet start right. to show up and uh, you know just try trying to talk just vi- the very basic sense like you guys are starving you're alone out here we could help you you know you can you can have all of this stuff you can come back with us and uh, just offering them the world and they're like no you know kill the aliens right. <laughs> uh, yeah it, and and certainly i think that that does bring brexit to mind of course but it brings it to mind the mentality of a lot of nationalist like yeah. small-minded yeah. old-fashioned like yeah, and it, it's it's a lot of fun, and that that's when I started. I, I came around to it because yeah, it was a it was a chore at first, and I think a lot of that was getting used to the new TARDIS crew mm. and not having heard the box any box sets before. You know, they were throwing into thrown into adventure as they off, often are, but immediately separated, and for the most part, separated into four different places. So we're not hearing them interact with each other, which is you know where I started to build those relationships back up with this new cast was when I started to hear them work together and they don't do a whole lot of working together in this first story so right. yeah it's um yeah but that's a very first doctor so. thing as well if you think about stories like the Aztecs yeah. and the sensorites oh, yeah, yeah. as well oh yeah absolutely I, I think it's 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 on brand for sure it just was a tough you know first one for mm. for me that's that's a me thing I don't think they did anything wrong there that they certainly uh they certainly did a pretty good job I think throughout both of these of making this feel like 60s Doctor Who. Like yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you can visualize yeah. the things. Yeah, I, I, I glorious black and white. Yes, <laughs> I have to admit, I spent a lot of this. It may be because I recently rewatched Brazil recently. I did mm. spend a lot of this going. If somebody at the BBC had gone to a young Terry Gilliam in the mid 60s and given him a Doctor Who story to do, it would be a lot like this. Yeah, <laughs> I could see that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Daddy Dominus is a character right out of something like that, so right. yeah. for sure. Um, with his uh, his radio addresses and the uh, I love you all. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It reminded me a bit, that bit reminded me a lot of Vengeance on Veros, but it's like if Vengeance yeah. on mm-hmm. Veros wasn't quite so po-faced, for lack of a better way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> It, well, they even had the mandatory viewing of executions and such, which is, you know, right out, right out of that, exactly yeah. the same Vengeance of Veros, but yeah, yeah so th- there's some similar, I mean, there's some similarities to multiple Doctor Who stories here, but I, I don't, it doesn't necessarily um, stop it in its tracks, so right. I yeah. think it's a... Uh, I think it's because every, it's, I mean, all of everything we've mentioned in terms of those, I mean, every they're all dystopias, so, you know, yes. there's going to be certain yeah, tropes right. that are going to carry over... Yeah. No matter where the where and when they're set, yeah, yeah, yep. Um, 
So one thing I that liked... doesn't make sense is why do aliens keep coming to Earth? <laughs> Enough for them to keep there. <laughs> keep killing them or be at war with them. Yes. I always wondered how much of that was... Uh, I suppose they're, they're static, so they have to be coming to them, and it's not uh, the other way around. But with the amount of obvious like propaganda and, and things they were doing, I wonder how much of any of that was true, because the yeah. entire war situation, the war they had built that was it was coming and then they were at war and um was all pretty much you know made yeah. up <laughs> well you do, Earth we do is have... always at war with yes <laughs> yeah. you know well we do we do meet bruskin who's the one alien right. the one actual alien that we meet in the whole story and that's like yeah we yep. accidentally broke down here and <laughs> yeah and and he is the i forget what they call the creature but they're kind of a hive mind Gelatinous-type creature. Gestalt, Gestalt, that's right. Yeah. Um, It seems like we've... uh, This concept seemed very similar to me, and I was trying to think of what Doctor Who story had a character almost exactly like this, and it was that um, Destiny of the Doctor, Tenth Doctor uh, thing that we did a few months back had a character that was very similar to this. Yeah. that was kind of a gelatinous type. He, in fact, absorbed Donna Noble yeah. at one point. Yeah. 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 So. <laughs> so I think he was just an one individual, not the... Yes, he did not, not have and the having, aspect. That... Yeah. Ruskin was also like a convenient uh, plot device to be able to keep all the different groups sort of in sync with each other <laughs> about yes. what's going yeah, on. Yeah, because he could see what was going on with Ian and Barbara, and he could see what's going on with... Yeah, yeah it was... Yeah, I, I enjoyed his character. It, um, yeah, it, it kind of plotted along along for me for the first couple episodes, but I, I came around to it. It's not one of my favorite big finishes I've ever heard, but I would like to give it another stab because I feel like I had some stumbling points with the, uh, you know. Right. I will say that one thing that does it a little differently than actual '60s Doctor Who is the role that it gives for Susan, mm. yes. the prominence yep. that it gives to Susan. <laughs> I mean, uh, to yeah, be fair, the way Susan was written in the 60s, almost anything would be an improvement or a difference. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, they've done a really good job at characterizing her as as what, what we all know her to be, which they, you know, both created and ignored in the original series, is that she right. is a, a, you know, she's a teenager, but she's a teenager from an advanced civilization right. uh, who just traveled all over the universe with her grandfather. And, and so she's had exper- these experiences. And, you know, her being the running and screaming and stubbing her toe person never really made a whole lot of sense to me. Um, mm. it, it, I think that's probably the gripes for a lot of people. I think they do a good job right off the bat in both of these of not making her a damsel in distress or a, you know, here's, there's a yucky alien bug. I'm going to scream at the top of my lungs and right. <laughs> have everybody come running. And yeah. Um, because yeah, she's underserved and, and I Caroline Ford, even in the sixties, I think that was her reasoning right. for leaving yeah. the show. Cause I think she was just yeah. annoyed with the, that it was a character with a lot of potential and she was annoyed that they never really tapped into it. So, right. But yeah, no, they do. They do a great job. She seems like a person from, you know, like a time lord from like what we know her to be. And I don't I can't think of a single time really that Susan seems like that in the original series. But so yeah, she's given her due finally. I don't have a whole lot else to say about this one. Uh, You guys have any final thoughts about for the glory of Earth before we move on to the the second part? Sorry, I got uh, booted out. Um, oh, okay. Hopefully I didn't okay. press anything. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, the other thing uh, that I kind of um, 
noticed. And the same thing is in the hollow crown, which um, I guess is the prominence of the female antagonists and the, their role compared to the, just compared to like, because like Daddy Dominus is kind of bored with everything and Bruddy is just uh, basically an idiot. And so it's really left to um, Mummy Marshall and Sissy to be the real dynamic uh, antagonists. And they even, like, end up killing each other, which was probably one of the darker parts of the story. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Uh, you know, they could have killed them, like, sort of off mic without having to go back to them putting on the molecular splitter on themselves. But <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was yeah, interesting. Was... And uh, I think Although you see the same funny, thing in the hollow crown. Sure. Yeah. Kind of. Uh, so yeah, I think that was uh, all. Otherwise, that I had to say, I always get a little bit uh, tossed out when uh, these old set stories use. And obviously, you can't avoid it. But when he talked about rebooting the TARDIS, I was like, mm. somehow that—that's a me thing. I'll say that's a me thing. <laughs> that, yeah. uh, the modern terminology gets a little throws me a little bit. Yeah. Well, it's, I, it's I, I, I did like the try, joke that they finally. Yeah, it's the thing I've noticed too about watching like strange the new Star Trek series Strange New Worlds is that you know you you may have tech, you may have a show that's in, inherently based off something created in the '60s with '60s visions of the future, but it's got to resemble something that a 21st century audience is going to recognize. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 But you yeah. know, and I think that's that kind of bringing the cla- bringing the classic and the modern together. I think is something that these sets, and I think that this story in particular, I think does a a good job of. I mean, it feels like it could have been made at the time, but it's got all of these kind of other elements to it as well. That feels like it's more of a commentary on the here and now through a, a spectrum of what Doctor Who in the '60s might have done. So, right, it's mm-hmm. it's an interesting story. I probably enjoyed it probably more than you did eric but of course you know a lot of that's i again i think because i'm i've gotten used to this cast over the last few years so i would definitely recommend giving it another stab at some point in the future yeah i think i was just kind of thinking it was a little sort of bog standard uh run around when it started off but uh, by the time it ended i thought it had gotten much cleverer like especially like with the arrival of the uh, other humans and the kind of the logical thing that it's unlikely that this uh closed off society will have developed some sort of disease that uh, the rest of the universe has not been able to (laughs) solve. (laughs) I, you know, the funny thing about that is, is that they were the medieval setting and whatnot. I'm sitting here going, it could be that surely it's not. And then they said what it was. And I was like, right. Dang it. I should have seen that coming. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you know, I and I feel the same way about it, Asad. I, I, I certainly didn't... By the time it was over, I certainly liked it quite a bit. It was just... Yeah, it just took me some time. And, and I think you're right, Matt. I, I need to listen to it again. It was just an odd one to start on, maybe, because mm. it was... Yeah. And maybe that would have been the case with any of them. Whenever you're getting used to a new cast, especially a new cast of people playing characters whose voices you already have kind of ingrained in your head. It, yeah. It's, you know, it's it's different, and it's it takes a minute, so... um. As we always do with stories, if you guys have to give this one a grade, um, we'll do. What'd you say the name of it? Was it Gestalt? Is that the name of the gelatinous creatures? Yeah. We'll do yeah. out, of, out of five <laughs> Gestalt this time. Um, what would you give the for the glory of Earth? I'm thinking between three point five to four. Matthew, what do you think? I think I'd give it a four and a half, actually. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna hit the three point five, but that's uh, with the 
an option for a redo later because I, I do feel like I need to I this deserves a re-listen because it had the unfair advantage of being my first time with these this cast so yeah it's 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 a little middle of the road for me but it's not without its charms I think there's some great stuff in here so mm-hmm. yeah, it's, I would but. definitely say it's worth a listen So uh, these box sets, the big finish box sets, are um, they've changed to uh, multiple adventure box sets versus doing their like old seasons type situations that they would do with volume one, two, three of a certain storyline. Uh, so this one contains two piece, two parts as we mentioned earlier, and the second one is the Hollow Crown by Sarah Gachala, which is the traditional historical from the Hartnell era. So we're talking a historical story that doesn't really have any outside sci-fi elements besides the fact that the TARDIS and the TARDIS crew is involved in a historical um, situation. And you could, you could call some of the throwback references to certain... 10th Doctor Adventure, some sci-fi elements, but I lo- I kind of love that they referenced that in here, because how, how could you not? Yeah. It's visiting an older William Shakespeare in the story. Right. But, um, so I'll get to a quick synopsis here, if I can read a little better. Um, probably jinxing myself <laughs> saying that, but... <laughs> when the TARDIS lands in Shoreditch, 1601, the Doctor suggests going to see a play at the Globe, and his friends readily agree. But this is a turbulent time. There is violence in the streets, plots against the Queen, and rebellion is in the air. At the center of it all stands the most famous playwright in British history, William Shakespeare, who is having troubles of his own. As tensions mount and and wheels turn within wheels, the travelers are about to discover if the play really is the thing. Not sure. But yeah, so Hollow Crown, um, yeah, historical, uh, set in the late reign of Elizabeth I, uh, features an older William Shakespeare. We all know that the a young William Shakespeare met the Doctor and Martha in the Shakespeare Code uh, on TV. So this is an older William Shakespeare who very much remembers uh, his experiences with the Doctor and, and finds it very curious that this old man has the same name. So... <laughs> Which I thought was fun. Yes, um, and yeah, so it's a tra- traditional historical. So we don't we don't see a whole lot of. There's not an alien menace lurking behind the scenes here anywhere. This is a, a political intrigue, a history about Shakespeare, and then and uh, his his relationship with the Queen. And, and I don't know how historically accurate that is, but I know there was one. I know she was. I mean, I know that's all yeah. Based she on was some fact, she was so. a patron of his for a while towards the end of her life. And actually, after she died, also allowed for James the First, who eventually succeeds her, to actually bring him on. Hence the the sort of the King's Company or whatever it was called. But this is based around actually a, a real event that happens in 1601. It's known as the Essex Rebellion. Yes. Um, so this is very much what this story is based around, which has also been the fodder for a lot of Shakespeare authorship conspiracy theories. Which I I cannot tell you, as somebody who's a Shakespeare nerd, how happy I am they did not go down that route at least. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've all heard that the conspiracies about Shakespeare not being, well, even as far as not being a real person, I've heard. So, yeah. yeah. Which is <laughs> it ludicrous, depend- I think. But. It, like any conspiracy theory, it goes from vaguely plausible to way off the deep end. Yeah. <laughs> um, depending on which version of the theory you happen to pick up. Sure. Yeah, and I, I personally didn't know a whole lot about the Essex Rebellion. I assumed that since it is a historical in the nature of of the Hartnell years, I assumed it was based on an actual historical event. It would be very odd if if it wasn't using the amount of details right. and real people that they did. Um, 
yeah, so it's uh, based around the, um, what is it, his title, the Duke or Lord of Essex? Um, the Earl of Essex. Right, right, Earl of Essex, yeah, sorry, I'm getting all my British titles mixed up. Um, <laughs> I am nerd, hear me <laughs> the, more. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the Earl of Essex rising up against uh, Queen Elizabeth I, and how our TARDIS crew kind of gets ingrained in, uh, in that um, right. rebellion, so in... Uh, I was yeah, planning we, to go and try to read up on some of that history, and then I just uh, clean forgot. <laughs> yeah, same here. Yeah, I, I, like I was telling you guys, like this month just it crept up on me this month, and I didn't do half of the uh, homework that I usually do for these things. But um, yeah. I did listen to it, so I felt like, well, I got it done. I might as well, yeah. might as well jump in here. So yeah, I mean, in in, um, in your guys' defense, I am a Shakespeare nerd, anyways, and a history nerd. So this was something that when I became aware of the connections between the two, which is what kind of the story revolves around, it was something mm-hmm. something I read up on a while back. So it was one of those listening to the story. I went, I know that bit, and I know that bit. Yeah, and I, and I know a, I'm not totally Shakespeare ignorant. I've read you know a fair amount of his work, and I you know know feel like I know a little bit about him as a historical character. But I did not know, I mean, at how, if any of this is based, you know, entirely on fact, but how it, how involved in the political situation, um, I don't know if involved, but how aware or ingrained in, in royalty in the political situation he was at, at this point in his life. Yeah. I don't know how many liberties they take with that, but. It's, so. I mean, to be, you know, it's not as, there's definitely dramatization, there's definitely fictionalization. But the yeah. bare bones of it are all there. There was a performance of Richard II that was paid for by the Earl's supporters to hopefully get certain events in motion. And it's true that the deposition scenes from Richard II weren't allowed to be performed during Elizabeth's lifetime for the precise reason that the story goes into. So a lot of that is is right on the money. Huh. And playwrights right. and a number of Shakespeare's fellow playwrights did find themselves spending time in the tower and whatnot at different points because they wrote <laughs> things that were deemed to be politically politically inappropriate to the crown. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I, I really, uh, compared to the last one, and just as my experience listening to this, this one um, leaped right out at me and I was, I was into it a lot more right away. It, it is a, you know, we, we mentioned a, a bunch of times it's historical to the point of where there i think people have some mixed feelings on that um especially going back to like black and white 60s tv doctor who and watching these stories that are um at least in sydney newman's eyes when help when when creating the show was uh you know literally meant to try and teach children um you know history science and history uh, on saturday tea time so um they this had a lot of elements of that to it, but it just seemed so authentic to what First Doctor or 60s Who did with these mm-hmm. historical stories. Like, yeah. it was just perfect note for note, a Hartnell historical. And so, yeah, I, I, w- I was pretty much right in with it. I was getting used to, I was also, this gave me enough scenes with these characters together, or maybe it was just because I'd heard the whole other one already. Um that I was over all of it. I was good to go. <laughs> like we're understood how they were doing this. And um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed, uh, really enjoyed the cast a lot more in this one. I enjoyed the, the, the political intrigue, the, the performances, the situation. And right. um, 
really enjoyed David Bradley as the first Doctor, which was something I bent a little bit on the fence, and all of a sudden he won me over big time in this story. It just, uh, he's he's really good. So, um, yeah. What are, what are you guys' thoughts about um, Hollow Crown in general? So, um, Matthew, you want to go? Yeah. I mean, it, it, this was very much my cup of tea, you know. As, as you know, as I said, as I've said, I'm a big Shakespeare nerd. I'm a big history nerd. So going into this, I was curious, kind of going into it, how they were going to deal with the whole Tenth Doctor having met Shakespeare in the past thing. And I did like that they kind of they nod and they wink at that um, without getting <laughs> I, I too that, explicit for it. Yeah, yeah, I love that Elizabeth remembers too right. <laughs> and makes a comment. So yeah, it's a, it's all all of. Uh, the Tenth Doctor's shenanigans are covered here. Yeah, so it's like you know when your future comes back to haunt you. <laughs> right, um, you can get tossed into the tower. Yes, uh, and I kind of, I kind of wish, and I, and, I, and I don't wish because the continuity would be chaos. But I kind of wish that the first Doctor at some point became aware of the fact that it was really him, and we, just 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 to see what his reaction would be like. Oh no, 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 my boy, no, 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 no. You must be mistaken. So yeah. So. Yeah, that would have been fun. That's a, that's the only that's something that could have met, would have made this even better. Um, but you know, I, I'm a big fan of the Hartnell historicals, anyways. And the and the historicals of, of the first Doctor Adventures run have been kind of a mixed bag. The first two sets had had two very good ones, and then the ones in in volumes three and four, perhaps less so. Um, but they really, I think, did hit it out of the park on this one. I think that part of when you pick doing a Hartnell historical is you've got to pick an era where you're going to tell an interesting story, that there's going to be drama and there's going to be conflict. And, you know, whether it's the Aztecs or it's the Reign of Terror, you know, this kind of, you know, court intrigue's not quite the right phrase, but I said, you know, but I'll go with it because I don't have anything better. And it is something yeah, that kind of yeah. suits them. And it's something, too, that, you know, Barbara is a history teacher. And so you get across, she can be there to kind of know a little bit of everything. And she, there's a couple of wonderful moments with her where she's basically telling everybody else what's going to happen and nobody wants to listen to her. Um, she, she's also convinced at one point that they have to be in some kind of alternate history because of the fact that, right. or, or that history is, you know, written all this stuff down wrong because of the fact that William Shakespeare um, didn't have a, a, living son at the time when yeah. um and it turns right. out that in, in shakespeare play play fashion the uh the yeah. um son was not actually a son but a daughter so yeah which uh, there's a lot of nods and winks to a lot of the shakespeare plays and also the shakespeare in popular culture because the idea that shakespeare is knowingly letting a woman go on stage and play his parts is of course it's the movie shakespeare in love right um mm. Yep. Thankfully, they do it here without a love interest, but with his daughter, which is an interesting touch. Lauren Cornelius, who plays uh, Judith in this, incidentally, is the current Dodo in some of the other First Doctor audios. Right. Yep. Um, she was in Chicago Tardis last year, and I had the pleasure of meeting yeah. her. I wish I'd heard this before then, uh, because she's <laughs> very good in this. She is yes, really she is. good in yeah. this. Um, the whole cast is pretty yeah. much stellar in this one, I feel like. Like, everybody's yeah. Uh, yeah, on yeah. point, so... <laughs> What about you, Assad? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed this one. Um, I'd say the Hollow Crown is not the most original uh, title for something set in Shakespearean times. Oh, very yeah. true. <laughs> I was interested. I mean, this I not, was not familiar with the writers. I was also curious to see how this was going to come out. There aren't too many women writers in uh, this uh, big Finnish Doctor Who world. Mm. 
Um, but overall, it yeah. was uh, yeah, it was uh, quite enjoyable. Initially, I thought there was going to be something to the fact that everybody was commenting about how quiet. Where is everyone? No, no, nobody. Nothing's happening. The theater is shut. But uh, I know, I'm not sure if I missed something to that explain the relevance of that. Yeah, um, I wasn't sure if they were gonna go the route of like pure historical at that point. I thought something was going on, you know. Right. <laughs> but, yeah. So there was some, uh, I, and maybe it's just because of the setting of Shakespeare and his sons. I was, I guess, reminded of a couple of the Sandman stories that involved uh, Shakespeare because some of those also revolved around his relationship with his uh, children. And um, I think just like in, uh, just like in uh, for the for the glory of Earth, the there's a lot of uh, prominence and significance given to the uh, women uh, characters in this uh, story, mm -hmm. from Essex's sister to Queen Elizabeth to even to uh, Susan and uh, Judith, who are yeah. all very strong catalysts of everything that's going on. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Susan, Susan and Judith form a... or Jude, as, as she's calling herself in her... Um, male persona or the part that she's playing you know to, to, as Shakespeare's son um, form a very uh, very good friendship very quickly right. reminds me of uh, her relationship with the uh, girl in um, Marco Polo the way that she yeah. which is actually a fairly for for the 60s TV show a fairly good Susan story she's not just you know running around and screaming and such but um but yeah, it reminds me of that that situation. Um, so Su Susan is somebody apparently that that you know forms very deep bonds with people. It seems like very quickly, and uh, which is which is not bad. I think they're you know that's a, I mean, that's not a criticism. It's probably to her uh, credit. But um, I think they they definitely borrowed that that character trait from the original series as well. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But yeah. right. So. Um, yeah, and uh, it it did do exactly what it was supposed to do in you know good old fashioned Sydney Newman style. This this was not something I was aware of really. Uh, well, it, the Essex Rebellion at all certainly has historical characters I'm aware of and vaguely aware of some of the events of their lives. William Shakespeare, Elizabeth the First, but this specific um, period of time and this specific rebellion, I yeah, not something I've ever. Right. read anything about so so yeah she taught taught me and i was i was interested very interested in reading a little bit more about the facts and unfortunately i didn't get to that yet but i i will probably uh at least do its do due diligence by reading the wikipedia page about it so <laughs> i have to check out that elizabeth miniseries from hbo and see uh what what they had to ah, if, they, yeah. if they dealt with it i don't know if they did or not yeah i haven't <laughs> seen it you know this is the one with uh helen mirren and jeremy irons if i remember yeah right. yeah 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 I, I, I didn't uh, have to say, I didn't really know. They've got an interesting approach to, I guess, some of the antagonists in this. Like in Glory of Earth, I didn't comment that it's uh, rather surprising that uh, Daddy Dominus just uh, sort of gets away with it. <laughs> Slips yeah. away off screen. <laughs> Skedaddles. And uh, in this also, I wasn't quite sure. Like uh, Cecil. How, how, how bad is Cecil really supposed to be? Yeah. <laughs> so... Well, I think also yeah. with this story, you're also constrained by the actual history. Well, they I say that right. they do they do a couple of interesting things towards the end of the story that kind of yeah, you know, where history can history can go a certain way, but you can do certain things with the characters at the same time. Well, they with uh, is it 
where the doctor te- talks uh, Elizabeth out of executing um, Essex at the yeah. end of the story is that not historically accurate. As I assume. far as <laughs> his, as far secret, as history like, is like, concerned, the Earl of Essex was executed um, uh, for yeah. what he did. I, I assume but yeah, so. there was a yeah. there were a number of other minor uh, lords and earls who managed to get away with it with their with their heads intact. Uh, which has been, <laughs> along with Shakespeare himself, because Shakespeare's play, of course, was used as the instigator for all of it. So that's part of the reason. Mm-hmm. This whole event is one of the reasons I've read up on it is because it is tied in with a number of the authorship conspiracy theories um, to kind <laughs> right. of explain yep. why certain people walked away with their heads on their heads. Um, but I think, <laughs> as this story shows, you don't need any grand conspiracy theory for it to history to play out the way right, it right. did. Yeah. You just yeah. kind of need a Chekhov's prisoner to be hauled out at the end of the last act. <laughs> right. I am not a number. I am a convenient <laughs> plot device. Yes. I, did, I was wondering why they were spending so much time on poor old Tom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. No, it, it was it was good, and it was it was fun. And uh, I, I talked a little bit about David Bradley, and I wanted to just kind of mention where his performance in this kind of leaped out at me. And that's uh, towards the end when we were just the, the moment, some of the moments we were just talking about when he was talking about compassion and forgiveness, right. yeah. it was a total 20th century or 21st century uh, uh, doctor speech mm-hmm. and moment, but it was coming with the voice of the first doctor and it was done very well. It was a nice little melding of those two things, kind of the pathos of the 21st yeah. century doctor through, through the, you know, with the voice of the first doctor, but Never so much that it betrays anything that's essential to who the first doctor yeah. is. I mean, the, the, like it, it never like crosses the yeah. line. Yeah, I mean, the first doctor has that yeah. kind of streak in him as well. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. Particularly right. as the Hartnell era, the original Hartnell era goes along. So, but yeah, it is a, mm-hmm. it is it's like the whole the set. I think as a whole kind of does that kind of wonderful melding of past and present. It's a it's a right. delicate yep. balancing yep. act. But I, for me, anyways, I think the set does a good job of it. It does a really good job in this particular story. I think the two times that I got sort of thrown out was when they talk about people being a fan. He's a fan of Shakespeare. It's like, <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they were saying vocab- that in those days. Vocabulary. When there's any number of words that could have been used instead. Yeah. Well, it, we're back right. to the download and reboot and everything else. It's, you know, you've got to use stuff stuff that the modern audience is going to understand. Yeah. But so Ian or Barbara should have said something, you know. <laughs> yeah, certainly. Well, uh, they're from Barbara they're from '63. The Beatle Beatlemania is hitting the UK, and that's yeah. really kind of. I I know the term predates that, but that's when it really comes into common usage. So it's it yeah. may. But these were the Elizabethan characters saying it. Hey, <laughs> tar- that's what. Hey, not- Tarnished translation circuits. <laughs> ah, yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's there true. You go. <laughs> yeah. I can't Susan argue with that. The, the 60s, the 60s talk into uh, an in-universe explanation, yes. the best yeah. explanation of yeah. all. <laughs> Toronto's translation circuit, uh, time war. It's one of the two. Yeah, yeah. And this one, um, I really think we get good uh, characterizations out of. Uh, uh, hopefully, Sarah Gachala gets a chance to write for this this series again because I think she really gets these characters um, in a way that like I think we already talked about Barbara Barbara's bits Barbara's just great in a lot of what she did on television what she did on um, you know throughout a, a lot of the media uh, but but her just being that um, voice of the history teacher yeah. here I mean just right. kind of getting to play that and uh, kind of keep things 
keep things in perspective and give us our little tidbits. Those of us that were familiar that like just to keep everything on track, like, oh, actually, and kind of point out some like factual stuff and keep us up to date. I think that it's it's a perfect use of the character. I think she she does it well. She's got some good scenes with um with uh, just with e, with Ian as well and um uh, and we and I talked a little bit about Susan earlier, but I I wanted to bring up Ian. I was got got there the long way, but um the he was better to me. This this was better. Uh, Ian Chesterton. I liked that he was a very hesitant at first to embrace the Essex Rebellion, and and right. then once he was like, once he came around to it, he was like all in. Ian, you know, he was going to be the the man of action, and <laughs> yeah. he was going to go out and lead the charge yeah. there. So once they uh, pointed out that there was a similarity between them, I kind of expected that to come into play a little sooner than it actually yeah. did. <laughs> Chekhovs yeah. look alike. Yeah, I thought that was going to be yes. like. <laughs> Yeah, I thought that was going to be kind of the, one of the crux of the plot, and I, I would have been a little bit disappointed by that because lookalike is done, you know, right. quite yeah. often in that era of Doctor Who. So it's like, yeah, um, uh, yeah. I should mention because yeah. I, looking at it while we were talking, um, having been talking about the most recent Ninth Doctor box, that she wrote one of the episodes in that as well, which is also a historically oh, cool. based yeah, so. one, obviously with a with a more pseudo historical twist on it because it's from the, the Ninth Doctor era rather than the First Doctor era. Um, but she's she seems to be one of Big Finish's up and coming writers. But I, like you, Eric, I start steam again. Yeah, yeah. I think that she said in her interview that her background is like historian. <laughs> yeah so. i think she did yeah and the extras say something about how she i don't know if she studied it in in like undergrad like whatever the equivalent of that is um but yeah she has some background yeah. in history theater i think yeah yeah maybe that's what she said she also yeah she did say that she's a big fan of shakespeare too so yep yeah i think you'd have to be <laughs> like yeah she gets you, that uh you don't um, oh, yeah. she's she's written quite a bit of stuff for Big Finish that, but yeah, I I I, I have not. This is the first of hers I've heard, so I'm I'm hoping. I've I've heard a lot sure. of her recently because she also did one of the recent Avengers episodes in a box that they did that I've reviewed. So she's she's definitely good, hmm. and I hope they'll get more use out of her. So, but yeah, there's there's no yeah, way you're I'm gonna sure, write this I'm story sure and will. not be a Shakespeare nerd. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that is a safe assumption. So, um, yeah. Any um, final thoughts about the Hollow Crown? Anything else? Uh, well, I'm at. The, I, I mean, I I noticed right at the end of uh, for the glory of Earth that they were doing the sort of again the first Doctor thing of having a little lead in into the next uh, yeah. story. Yep. So, and in this case, it's a little annoying because. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I have to have to either have to buy the next story yeah. or wonder what's yeah, going to happen Yeah, I know they they've introduced um, Lauren Cornelius as Dodo, and now I think it's Stephen Noonan playing the First Doctor, doing stories set later on in in this era. But I do know, I think COVID threw them for a loop um, because I noticed this one was recorded back all yeah. the way back in 2019. Um, so I don't know. I know that, um, when Stephen Noonan was announced that they, he was going to be playing the first doctor for them as well, there were a lot of questions about, is David Bradley not doing it anymore? Um, there was a particular corner right. of the big finish fandom that was accusing Nick Briggs of firing David Bradley, which was a very strange afternoon on Twitter. Um, 
when is when is it not a strange afternoon <laughs> yeah. on Twitter? But um, I think yes. Briggs and Benji <laughs> Clifford, I think on the Big Finish podcast, uh, did confirm that they are planning more stuff with David Bradley when they can safely get everybody back into a studio. Um, keep in mind, David Bradley is, mm. I think he is, he, he's late seventies, early eighties. So he's, yeah. Yeah. Early eighties, I think, yeah, but he's, you know. he's sounding older than William yeah. Hartnell from the TV show. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I would, it is that this was the most recent set, right? So they cliffhangered into like yeah. whatever they're going to do next. Like that's, so. yeah. Yeah. So, unfortunately, Assad, if they don't get it together... <laughs> it's, it's a danger with cliffhangers. Oh, you're telling me. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> they did do something... You know, They did do, like, very authentic uh, cliffhangers all throughout, like, in between episodes and... Um, but especially the ones in between stories. They, they did that little setup uh, that is that is unique to earlier Doctor Who right. because they didn't... Um, and and they also at the end of episode three, that's definitely one of the fake yes. out cliffhangers. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> but it's not. But it's an authentic. Yeah. But fake it's out okay. That's another song. tradition. <laughs> yeah, oh, well. that's a that's a classic. I mean, that's as old as as old as the cliffhanger because like uh, especially with old film serials and stuff like not 80 yeah. percent of those were fake outs like that so, so. <laughs> at least it's not as at least it's not as bad as um what is it mark of the ronnie part one where they just conveniently don't show you the character who's going to rescue the doctor and then when they do part two that character is suddenly there and it's like why didn't you show this to us last week <laughs> I think I'm, I'm more annoyed by the genesis of the Daleks oh, freeze frame. <laughs> where's good old David yeah. Malone? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, Matthew, do you have any uh, final thoughts on this one as we kind of wrap it up on the holocron? I, you know, I will, I will go on a bit of a limb and say that I think this is one of the best stories to come out of this entire range. So, you know, I know that this was y'all's introduction to this in a big way so and i do encourage you to go back and listen mm. to some of the previous sets the the second set in particular uh, is really good um and it's got a really good historical story in that as well as well as a john doherty doing a really inventive sci-fi story but you know a, as an introduction to this kind of range this set and in this story in particular are really good choices and you know, as I to risk sounding like a broken record over here, as a Shakespeare nerd, I could not be happier with with this story and the way all of that was handled. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. This 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 was an excellent excellent story, and any any trepidation I had about uh, the cast or the, the this box set after listening to um, for the glory of Earth was. Uh, all erased by this. Uh, in fact, I, I think I may have warmed to For the Glory of Earth after hearing this yeah. one. I liked it so much. So it's like, uh, um, yeah. yeah. So if uh, you guys uh, had to give this one a grade out of, uh, let's say out of five British playwrights. Um, <laughs> five <yes>. upstart crows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's even better. So, yeah, let's, let's go with that. Uh, wh- wh- where do you think you guys land on this one? Oh, I'm gonna say four, but I might even be tempted to go up to four point five, and I think I might even go increase my Earth up to maybe a solid four from three point five, <laughs> just on the basis of all the discussion yeah. that we've just had. <laughs> yeah. Well, I but think for the second month in a row, I'm gonna go a solid five. 
I this is one of my favorite stories from this entire this entire range. So and it's it's everything I can ask everything I could hope to ask for from a first doctor historical. So it gets a solid five of Stark Crows out of me. Well, yeah, I'm going to give it the solid five. My only little nitpick is, and this is only because I have done Shakespeare on stage, that they said the name of the Scottish play on more than one occasion when they really shouldn't have. <laughs> did they say yeah. it in the did, did they say it in the globe? I can't remember. I, I know that they were they were at one point they were saying it quite freely, and I'm like, yeah, this story's going to go downhill any second. Somebody's yeah. going to die. Something's going to happen. Yeah. They didn't say yeah. it in the globe. It's all good, yeah, <laughs> but you know, I, I just, yeah, I, I've, I've become overly superstitious to the name of that particular play, um, much to, much to the amusement yeah. of family and friends. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm right there with you guys. I was, I was kind of on the like, whether am I going to do four point five or a five? I feel like this is. Yeah, I'm just gonna go for the five. I enjoyed it that much. It's uh, not only was it uh, a really interesting, intriguing story with great characterizations, and just uh, for me, it was again, it was like the this had the moment where David Bradley clicked for me. So I want to go back and like consume all of the David Bradley stuff now and see if it it translates or I have a better <laughs> relationship with him as the first Doctor now. So. Um, but yeah, it also was its authenticity, and I don't know historical authenticity, but its authenticity to the Hartnell era was just so spot on. And uh, so yeah, yeah, it's, if if you're into the first Doctor, you enjoy this era of Doctor Who, which usually if you've bought this set, you probably do. Um, this is going to be right up your alley. It's about the best example. And, and Matthew, you've heard a lot more, and since you're giving it praise, I assume I'm correct <laughs> that it's a, it's probably about the best example of a. Uh, you know, Doctor Who, Hartnell Historical, you're going to get, yeah. you know, since we can't get that yeah. cast back together. I, I would be, <laughs> so, I sitting here but, thinking about, I would be hard-pressed whether this or the Barbarian and the Samurai, the Barbarians and the Samurai from set two is the better, is the better one, okay. but it would be, yeah. I, you know, first among equals, perhaps. I'd have to go back and listen to that one again. But this one's, this one's a very good example, if not the best example. Yeah, so I think I'm going to go with the five Upstart Crows. I really enjoyed this one, and like I said earlier, I think I warmed on the, the whole thing, the whole set, because I enjoyed it so much. And Yeah, really, if you're if you're into Doctor, this era of Doctor Who at all, I can't recommend this one highly enough. It's it's great. It and I'm hoping to hear... be our best scoring story ever. Yeah. It might, it might very well be. I don't know if we've ever come in all that, that high, so... <laughs> That's that's high acclaim. So I hope to hear more from uh, Sarah Grachala as well. I know there's a, a cer right. certainly a backlog of stuff I haven't heard, so I can yeah. go back and uh, yeah, and I'll, to I'll have that, to check but... out the uh, Back to Earth. Yeah, uh, yeah. Set. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing more of the the Ninth Doctor sets as well. Those uh, I was very pleasantly surprised with that as well. And not I don't know when I say pleasantly surprised, I don't mean that I ever had expectations it wouldn't be good, but I really enjoyed the one I heard. So. <laughs> I haven't heard any of them yet, so yeah. I, I, I know you like the Brigadier, so Old Friends is probably a good place for you to start. I mean, they're yeah. they're yeah. all good. Don't get me yep. wrong, um, but I think knowing right. you, I'd recommend Old Friends. Though Back to Earth, I think, as I said earlier, is the best of the lot so far. I need to make sure that I keep getting notification of their sales. I don't think I always get notification of their yeah. uh, sign up. Sales, you need, sign up so. for their. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so you sign up for the email. 
Yeah, I thought I had, but I need to. I'm. I yeah, because I noticed. Up again. Yeah, I noticed at one point I, I stopped getting emails from them and had to re-sign up for the newsletter myself. So. Yeah, and and if we're talking first Doctor historicals, I may have already said this in some prior program, but um, the the massacre of Saint Bartholomew's oh, Eve yeah. is fantastic. I mean, I heard the audio yeah. of it, obviously, since that's all we've got. Yeah. But that's definitely one of the stories. That and the savages are ones that I wish that they could find the tapes of rather than more parts of the Dark yeah. Master Plan or anything. I, I yeah. would I would happily <laughs> trade. Um, uh, I would happily. Well, I've said before that yeah, I'm not a big fan of the Dominators from the Patch of Trout era. I will trade the Dominators for any missing, anything else that's missing, and the Massacre of Saint Bartholomew's Eve would be on the top of that list. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I'll trade the Space Museum oh, for Well, it. I, I will trade episodes <laughs> the, two, three, those... and four of the Space Museum for most other things. But, you know, Space Museum at least has one brilliant episode. It just goes downhill very quickly from there. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, those those early historical episodes, uh, the missing ones, in, uh, right. especially the massacre, unfortunately is just the nature of it. It's probably not going to be, even if they ever get to doing like the animations or whatever, it's just not going to be done justice yeah. by that. I don't right. think it's the, it's it's one thing with you know the more sci-fi heavy stories. Like the animations, you know, fine in general. You can there. It's look. It's always better than not being able to see them at all. Like that's right. that's fine. But yeah, those historicals. I, I just don't think they're going to tackle those. Um, and if they do. I'm afraid it's going to be an uphill battle yeah. for making it a satisfying. I think until but, if and when yeah. that happens, and I think that's a, I would agree with you, Eric. It's a pretty big if. I think the loose the loose cannon reconstruction mm-hmm. that was done, God, it's probably been 15 years or so since that was done. But the loose cannon reconstruction, which is floating around online yeah. for people who haven't seen it, if if you if you don't want to do the audio and you're insisting upon having a visual version of it, that's the one to go with. The massacre is a weird one too because there's so yeah. little visual that survives. Uh, the majority of our visual imagery yeah. that survives from the publicity photos are actually, funnily enough, of Jacqueline Hill because that's at the very end of the story. In the last two minutes, they introduced Dodo, so that's what we mostly have from that right. story in terms of visuals. So, loose cannon did. Their, well, their website doesn't exist anymore, but you can look at it through archive.org and the Wayback Machine. They mm-hmm. they did a big write-up on their website about the, the efforts they went to, which were borderline heroic, to get this thing back into some kind of visual state of presentation. So it's, it's of all the missing episodes, and I say this as somebody yeah. who loves Power of the Daleks... Um, above all others, but if you know, if you had to give me a choice, massacre would be the one I would I would want back more than the, more than the rest. Yeah, it's uh well th- those loose cannon reconstructions in general are just top tier <laughs> stuff. So like I have if, to, uh, yeah, I've, I've heard of them and somehow I have never checked them out. Yes, so I need to fix that. Yeah, they're they're I mean obviously at their reconstructions it's it's not the same as being able to see it but it's right. they do they do a really great job of making something yeah. that's, that's watchable and enjoyable out of out of yeah. practically nothing in some yeah, cases it's, it's I don't know uh, without having stuff back and that well they did enemy of the world and we have enemy of the world back but I haven't ever felt the time or inclination to go back and do a blow by blow comparison to go well how much of it did they actually get right but I think it's one of those, right. it's a bit yeah. like with the animations themselves. The real question is, do you want accuracy or do you want something you can watch? Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, true. 
I think, uh, yeah, I think accuracy probably does come second to watchability to people that are producing yeah. the show. I mean, they got to sell it and they want people to enjoy it. And, and at the end of the day, I don't, you know, I'm not sure it's super important that everything is shot for shot perfect. And yeah, it's, it's more about getting a chance right. to enjoy these stories that are, are not going yes. to be enjoyed yeah. by the, there are those of us that will go and buy the audios and listen to the audios and mm. be happy with that, but uh, there are also people that very that true. Do that, so there's <laughs> right. just not their thing. So cool. Well, I think I'm going to leave it at that. Wrap it up on the uh, first Doctor Box set, but of course the um, first the the thing we do at the end of every show, we have to figure out what it is we're going to be reviewing for next time. So let's hit the button, big red button on the machine we call the randomizer, and find out what it is. <laughs> Next time on the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast, we will be discussing The Wintertime Paradox, 12 Festive Tales of Tinsel and Time Lords, by Dave Rudden. So I hope you jo- join us next time for that, and I uh, want to thank you guys for being here uh, and discussing with the uh, first Doctor Adventures with me. Um, it's always fun to get together and talk who. I hope uh, everybody out there listening had as much fun as we had, and hope you'll consider joining us again next time on the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. Until then, I'm Eric Branson. Matthew Kressel. And I hope you have a good evening. So long. Thanks for all the fish. Ballyhoo. Thank you for listening to the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. A proud member of Direction Point, a Doctor Who podcast network. Join Eric Asad and Matthew next time for another random review from the worlds of Doctor Who. Everything ends. As always, sad. Send your feedback to policeboxpodcast at gmail.com and remember if you take the time to write it, we'll take the time to read it. Until next time. One day, I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. It's the end, but the moment has been prepared for. The Doctor Who theme was composed by Ron Grainer and arranged as Doctor Who retro theme by Neon Frontier. All rights to Doctor Who and its related materials belong to the BBC. Some of there's danger. Some of there's injustice. Somewhere else the tea's getting cold. Come on, Ace. We've got work to do. Direction point. Direction point. A Doctor Who Podcast Network.